0: Welcome to Demogronomics. your insight to the powerful surprises ahead for the U.S. economy. Demogronomics, where people make markets. And now, here is Mike Williams. Hello there and welcome back uh, to the podcast. Today we're going to call it, uh, is it really that simple? In my early years in the business, I fell for a lot of the mind games that we speak of today, both here in your podcast and on the notes we send to clients. As we can see, a bad report causes analysts to go back and adjust their previous findings. We call them ripple effects. The old, quote, if this happened, then this must be the next thing that will happen, unquote, syndrome is always at work behind the scenes, even if we don't see it consciously The latest ripple effect is the bad jobs number from Friday's data. One can assume that a piece of data somehow washes over multiple channels and then causes a clear and precise domino effect across those classes. That cannot be farther from the truth. But What does that matter when panic is a required element these days, right? As suggested in these podcasts uh, on Friday's weak jobs report, the rest of the data do not add up to the bad jobs number. So let's review some of that data, for example, to give you a sense of why we want to point that out. Jobless claims continue to set historical lows, not usually the thing one sees in a quote bad jobs market. We can see in the latest data that the jobs open rate, which adjusts for the changing size of the labor force over time, Returned to an all-time high. Think about that for a second. It returned to an all-time high of job openings. As a confirm, know that the note that the private openings also saw the very same rate and similar outcome, both now sitting at highs. The second set of ta- stats that provides a more positive backdrop, well, While the rest of the crowd stays focused on Friday's bad headline, the latest data also showed that the layoff and discharge rate returned to the lowest ever share at just 1.1% for all workers. Think about that for a second. The lowest ever rate of firings, layoffs, or discharge. When we combine all of this and the weekly jobless claims numbers at record lows, all along with reports directly from companies that seem unable to find employees, the message is clear. The labor market is stronger than the media reports lead one to believe. Hence, the weak figures in recent jobs numbers are likely soon to pass. I think what we'll find is that the jobs that are open require educational talent and expertise that current jobless people don't have. So it's gonna take some re-education. Experts and gold, I love it when everything gets nasty. I hate to reference the fact that I'm approaching 34 years in the business, but oddly enough, it does provide a basis for perspective which I could have not had in my twenties and thirties. One thing I always get a kick out of is the chatter about gold. It never fails as the markets rally and get ready to quote, fall apart this time to just below all time highs. The experts are jostled onto the stage and they speak of their preference for gold. Now we all know the gold benefits. We know what it is supposed to do. And let's be clear. I have nothing against gold. Indeed, in our first Barron's Weekly interview way back in July of 1998, we stated very clearly, we think investors should be buyers of gold given the views we have about commodities. Mind you, at the time, that was when gold was $240 an ounce. No one spoke about it ever. No one wanted it and fewer thought it was a wise use of capital at the time. Think about that for a second. Let that sink in. That was when gold was 240. Here is where I struggle with gold over the long term, however. In 1982, when I started in the business, gold was moving. The markets were perceived as being extremely overvalued. (laughs) Imagine that. In 1982, they were extremely overvalued at a Dow less than 1000 No one wanted stocks. Inflation stunk. We had the lost decade of the 70s right behind us. Equity prices had, quote, taken seven years to get back to where they were in 1974. And the public at the time hated our, quote, actor president, President Reagan, in case you don't recall. That year, were I an expert and I bought $5,000 of that gold shiny stuff at its average price at the time, I would have owned 13.29 ounces of gold. With dividends and stock splits since then, I would still own 13.29 ounces of gold today. That's a chuckle for some. Now, let's just pretend that you were smarter than I, and instead of gold, you also had $5000 but you instead bought the hated S&P 500 index at the time it closed on December 31st 1982 at 140.64 140.64 it's now 2100 but i'll get to that in a minute here's the key today my $5000 in gold is worth a pretty sizable Sixteen thousand eight hundred and thirty-five dollars. However, your five thousand dollars in that hated S and P five hundred index in nineteen eighty-two is worth seventy-four thousand seven hundred and fifty-one dollars. Now I have a little asterisk on that in my notes here, and that asterisk would go to a note that says this: that seventy-four thousand seven hundred and fifty-one dollar value is without any dividends that would have been reinvested, which, by the way, would bring your total closer to $110,000. In other words, the same $5,000 investment in gold versus the S&P 500 would have given you roughly eight times what I ended up with in real live crummy old US dollars. So the question I always have is this. There are always trades, but which asset class really did keep up with inflation, global unrest, economic destruction, bear markets, bull markets, terrorism, all the things we're terrified of today, which one of those assets really, really kept up over the very long run? So think about it yourself. I have $16,800 and you have over $110,000 from the same $5,000 investment made in 1982. So while you're thinking of that, I want to give you a little insight into some of the emails I get. I got quite a few in the last week or two as the summer haze kicked in and we sort of kept saying, we ought to expect a summer swoon. I had a lot of questions last week, each of which came out something like this. Mike, why in the hell would you ask us to pray for a summer swoon? Well, here's my answer. Call me a nut, but I like it when people panic and we get better deals, as long as we're long-term investors. I know we don't get them all the time, but I have found that the 33 summers before now, helping clients and advisors have often created opportunity for those who realize the odds of the world ending are really, really tiny. As such, when people panic into summer swoons, like they did last summer and the summer before, deals are at hand. History proves this if we study the data. My concern this time around, quite honestly, you have to ask yourself this. Did the masses already get their summer swoon panic out of the way in January and February, when we were having our, quote, worst start for markets in 80 years, unquote. I hope not. But here's why having the market panic a little bit is good. Now, I have a snapshot I'm staring at, and it shows what stocks have done one, two, three, five, and ten years after they have declined. Between 7 and 9% in a single month. By the way, that's about what we did last summer and what we did at the start of this year. Then it shows you what markets have done one, two, three, five, and ten years after they've increased seven to nine percent in a single month. Here's the thing. It's all a similar story, even if we look at the historical returns for those same periods after the market rises or falls more than 9%. No matter how you slice it, it is a similar story in every single period. I mean, in every one, two, three, five, and 10 year period, in every time it happens. Subsequent returns are higher after the market has plunged compared with periods after the market has rallied. The lesson is simple, but also it carries within it the most important and also most difficult issue in all of investing. Here's the key. The worse stocks do today the better they're likely to do tomorrow. Hence the pain we deal with during all corrective waves is what plants the seeds of tomorrow's returns. That's why I always say long-term investing. Why then do many miss out on the great long-term returns in markets? Well, here's the key. Our ability not to panic is what markets reward in the long run. I'm gonna say that again. Our ability not to panic is what markets reward in the long run. The long-term structure of people, the United States' massive generational power, the dynamic demographic change waves coming And the massive overlooked demand in the barbell economy pipeline is what makes one confident that there are good times ahead. That is why I hope we get a nice summer swoon. So listen, make sure to stay in touch if you need anything. Ask your advisor, review these issues with you. I hope they've been helpful. And until we see you again, may your journey be grand and your legacy significant.